Welcome to Pods Kiwi. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, there's no easy way to begin a show like this. Obviously, we're going to talk about the game that happened uh, against the Lions. We're going to preview the game against the Argos that's coming up, the big game on Friday. But the big news in Ticat land was obviously Saturday morning when we got the news that... Uh, I don't even know if legend is a proper descriptive, but Angelo Mosca, maybe the face of the Hamilton Tiger Cats for the past 60 years, uh, sadly passed away after a long battle with Alzheimer's disease. Um, we can go into what he did on the field. The resume speaks for itself. A record nine Grey Cup appearances, a record he shares with teammate John, former teammate John Barrow. Five championships, elected to the Hall of Fame, won four with the Ticats, ended his career in probably the greatest way a player could end his career, winning a championship in your final game in your home stadium in front of your home fans. He was, I think, fairly easily the most recognizable person to ever play for the Ticats. He had a professional wrestling career following his retirement from the CFL legendary feuds with guys like Bob Backlund and Pat Patterson. He was in the ring with nature boy, Ric Flair, when Flair beat Harley raced for his second NWA world heavyweight title. If you it's on the WWE network, you can see it's arcade 83 Flair wins the championship. The first guy in the cage is Angela Mosca. Hmm, he, I didn't he, know that. he did it all like, like, and, and he, he, what he wasn't a Canadian born in Massachusetts, came to Canada, made Hamilton, his home, is there anyone more synonymous with this franchise than Angela Mosca? No, right? No. no, not not even close. And, you know, there's been some great players for this franchise over the years. But, you know, uh, Mosca was a guy that, you know, we didn't see play. It was uh, well bef- before our time. But as soon as you became a Hamilton Tiger Cat fan, you knew about Angela Mosca, right? I mean, like I said, there's been a lot of good players over the years that we've watched um, but no one is more synonymous with the Tiger Cats than Angela Mosca. He, uh, you know, had a long career with the Tiger Cats, and then he stayed in Hamilton after his career and attended games um, for many, many years up until he got sick, and even after he got sick, I'm assuming. So, uh, yeah, just a real sad day for the Tiger Cats. You know, you only think about a couple of legends like him um, associated with teams. So you can think about, you know, Russ Jackson with with the Ottawa Rough Riders. Um, uh, Ronnie Lancaster with with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, but I think that uh, no other player was more significant to the franchise than Angela Moscow was. Yeah, if we were to do a Mount Rushmore of CFL players, not the four greatest players or anything like that, but if you're to do synonymous with, like, let, let's say we expand it to nine, every team has a guy. There's no doubt in your mind that Angela Mosca is that guy, and and. For, for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and just as a CFL personality, he like his last game was in 1972. It was ten years before I was born, and he'd been out of the game by by like 49 years since he retired, and he's probably just as well known to the generations after than he was to the people who watched him play. Like I, like you said, we never saw him play. It was, like I said, a decade before I was born that he hung up the cleats, which is really weird to think. He, he passed away at 84 years old. He retired 49 years ago. If you do the math, he was only 35 when he left the game. Hmm. It seems, and you look at him, and I've always thought this about 
when you see it kind of was it was it was either earlier this year or last year I think it might have been last year when they showed a picture of Tom Brady currently and a picture of George Blanda and you're like George Blanda right. looks like he'd be Tom Brady's grandfather and like you look at those old pictures of Angelo Mosca and you're like he looks like a grown man at 35 he was younger when he retired than I am now he's I believe he's you're over 35 now aren't you yeah that's correct he was 36 yep yeah he was older when, go look at the, the highlights and the pictures from him hoisting the Grey Cup at, at Iverwind Stadium in 72. He is younger in that picture than Mike and I are now, and we look like children compared to what – like he was a man, yeah. like a man's yeah, man. For sure. And I, I touched on it on the podcast all those years ago when it happened, but I, I was lucky enough to get to meet him one time, and it was in 2015. It was Angela Mosca night when they were retiring his jersey, one of only two players in franchise history to ever have – his number retired and all the great players that have played for the tiger cats to think that it, it makes sense. Cause he is so synonymous with the team. He's one of just two people that they don't circulate his Jersey anymore. I got a chance to meet him that night. And obviously by then he was, he, his health had started to decline. Um, but there was, and I wrote about this when I wrote kind of a, not an obituary, but kind of a remembering Angela Mosca piece for three down this week. There was a presence about him. I shook his hand. He had, like bear paws for hands. He yeah. still commanded that respect. I was in awe. And I, I don't usually get starstruck that easily, but the night I met him, it was like, you're in almost felt like you're in the presence of royalty, like Hamilton, yeah. not just Hamilton royalty, but just like, Oh, this is an important person. And he was very gracious with the time. I did not spend very long with him. I said, told him, thank you for all he's done for the city, what he's meant for the franchise. Got got a, a jersey signed for a friend of mine. Got a picture taken that's still on my phone to this day, and and that was it. And that was my, that was my one one chance meeting with Angela Mosca, and to to be able to have that to have that that memory now for the rest of my life, it, it it's kind of I know almost all Ticat fans have some sort of Angela Mosca story, and that was the night I made mine and. Now that he, it just felt like as a, obviously everyone knew he was, he was battling Alzheimer's for the, for the last little while. The night that he was, he was, his jersey was retired was his kind of, I didn't feel like a funeral because it was very upbeat, but I wonder if in a way it was sort of like, it was Mosca's kind of last real major public appearance like I know he had shown up to practices and games in the aftermath of of that night but it wasn't at, like this was let's let the people in attendance and people of the city show how much you mean to them and to kind of get that before he passed that, that's kind of cool like it's, it's one of those things that you hope everyone kind of you so you know how people feel about you and what he meant to this city like there, there's a mural painted of him on, on a wall in downtown Hamilton and I don't know if they'd ever consider building a statue but if you're going to build a statue the first one i i think that you would build would be to, to sit in front of tim horns field would be angela mosca right like what he meant yeah, to this town and his team and that iconic picture i have it on my wall framed of him holding up the gray cup in front of the fans in, right in front of the fans in 1972 um him and uh garney henley right beside each other so that that would be a perfect someone suggested it on twitter and uh i think that that'd be a great idea i mean if you're going to build a statue it it might as well be of Mosca, right? I mean, I've got that picture on my wall. I've got a, a one of those small jerseys from uh, Angelo Mosca night. I, forget, I think. Did I, I get I that for you? It. Or your dad get that for you? It to me. 
I think he might have, or it might have been my my dad, or it might have been somebody else. I can't remember, but either way, whoever it was, thank you very much. If it was you, thank you very much, Josh. Uh, but I got that, and then I got a, I got a uh, like a football card, um, laminated of Angela Mosca. So you know, I'm I'm a guy who was born in 1985, and have multiple pieces of memorabilia about Angel- Angelo Mosca. So uh, that just goes to show, you know, how important he was to this franchise. And uh, he'll be important for the rest of time to this franchise. So um, he will be sorely missed. And I never I never met him personally. I sat beside him at a breakfast once. So it was the, uh, it was the uh, maritime game. Uh, Hamilton versus Calgary, and he, it was like the day, the morning of the game, or the day after, I can't remember, but I was too nervous to come up and talk to him, but uh, just to be in his presence was was uh, was an honor. Yeah, it, you, you feel, like, it's, it might sound silly to people who've never maybe, like, he's an icon. He's a legitimate mm-hmm. icon, and it might feel silly for us, for people to hear us say, like, you feel something when you're in the presence of someone that monumental and you mentioned you mentioned the the jersey I, i'm looking at it as i sit here and record with you i got the the jersey on this on a, my wall here i got a mosca flag with the 68 hanging from my uh my memorabilia sort of uh oh my god i'm, I'm blanking on the word that uh, uh, uh shelves i got a like a bookshelf that's got a bunch of mm-hmm. knickknacks on it from various sports teams and what have you and there's a mosca flag on top of that so for a guy that like he meant so much to this to the fans of this team, like he transcended generations. Like we keep hitting on it. You and I never saw him play, but you heard stories and then you kind of see him around the team. And like, they had videos of him at, at, uh, at Iverwind stadium and even Tim Horns field. Like the, the Moscas, I don't know if you ever, you probably did. Cause you were probably still living in Hamilton time when I'd have him come out with the commandments, like all the things you can, you can and yes. can't do at the stadium. Yeah. Um, they, do you remember they they did like a video of like what it means like talking about like Labor Day means something and they would talk about like Mosca as like a five time All Star and I don't know mm-hmm. there's just I don't know like we, you and I grew up in the McManus Flutie Lancaster era I think that's what we kind of consider our heyday of Ticats fandom and there's obviously going to be people who will look at at guys from that team Joe Monford guys the younger fans will look at people like Simone Lawrence and Brandon Banks. And then there's people who like Earl Winfield and Ben Zambiazzi. They're all legends, Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers in their own right. I don't know if it's ever possible. Maybe because of the time he came up and and the success he had with the team too. Like nine nine great cup appearances. I think eight of them were with the Tiger Cats. He won four great cups with this team. I don't think they've won four great cups total since he retired. Um that probably he's 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 ubiquitous with the most successful era of this franchise, and he was the face of that era, which is weird because he wasn't the quarterback, wasn't a receiver, right. he was a defensive tackle. But he mm-hmm. epitomized what it meant to be a Tiger Cat, what the people of the city, especially back in the sixties and seventies, the attitude they had of you come in, you do your job, like a blue collar attitude. Mosca represented that. I don't know if we're ever going to see in our lifetimes uh, a player who embodies this team and what it means to be a member of this team that will eclipse what Angelo Mosca meant. 
No, that'll be a hard thing to uh, to overcome for sure. I mean, if you could think of one player right now, it would be Simone just because of his hard-nosed, mm-hmm. you know, attitude and the, you know, his blue-collar type player. But, uh, yeah, for, you know, it, it's hard to think of anyone more iconic, like, on a team in the CFL that wasn't an offensive player. You know, I mean, and especially a guy on the defensive line, like, you know, secondary um, they might get a little more shine because they might have the interceptions and the the pick sixes and all that stuff. But this guy was a defensive tackle, and he was he's still you could argue to this day is still the face of the franchise. So, mm. um, I can't say enough good things about him. You know, he wasn't liked by um, you know opposing teams and all that stuff, but there was a respect there for sure. So, um, he's gonna go down as one of the greatest of all time, one of the greatest Tigats of all time. Yeah, it's uh, it, you. You brought up the offensive player thing, and it, it's funny when you're. I was thinking about it. It's like you think of who do you who do you associate with? Like you said, Russ Jackson and, and Ron Lancaster. You think of the Argos. Who's the first person that pops in your head? It's Pinball. Pinball. Who's the first person that pops in your head when you think of the Alouettes? It's oh, it's Mike Pringle or it's Anthony Calvillo. It's uh, the Elks, uh, Warren Moon. It's or or even if we go even Ricky Ray. Like it's yep. quarterbacks. It's offensive players. Like it's Gizmo not actually too Gizmo too like Gizmo, the flashy yeah. players right yeah. the ones that put the points on the board yeah it's not it's not interior defensive linemen but I no, think that that speaks not. to and and I'm not to say that these these other teams didn't have like Willie Pless was one of my all time favorite players played his most the majority of his career with Edmonton mm-hmm. all an all time an all time elk or or obviously what their previous name was but you know what I mean like. But he's not Warren Moon. He's not Ricky Ray. You know what I Like, there's been some yep. great quarterbacks. Like, Danny McManus was a quarterback here for damn near a decade. Won an MOP. Won a Grey Cup. Took him to another. Didn't, and I love Danny Mac. Doesn't come close to being no. what Angelo Mosca meant to this team. And maybe some of that has to do with the fact that he stayed. Maybe it has to do with he... He was still his in the spotlight. His big he, personality. He had a massive personality. That's why he was so successful as a pro wrestler. Yeah, like, exactly. And he he stayed in in the Hamilton area, and and he he kept himself in the spotlight until I think he retired from wrestling in like eighty six or eighty seven, and was then always around the team. Like he was almost an unofficial mascot, and that almost feels derisive to say because he was so much more than that. But when you think of like when you think of the tire catch, you think of the black and gold. You think of you know the the hard nosed play. And you think of Angela Mosca. Like it's if he's not first or second. Like if someone says tie cats, it, what's he's the first guy you think of. Yeah. And I can't yeah. think of a time, especially in our lifetimes, where that will ever be different. Where that will ever change. He will always be to me and to probably everybody else the most singularly identifiable player with this team. And he retired damn near 50 years ago. Yeah. And like what a, you know, a tough son of a gun he was yeah. too, because, and that's, that's the obvious thing to say. We all know that he was, but to, to be a professional football player for however, you know, 12, 13 years, whatever it was. And then, um, transition into professional wrestling for another 10 years or 15 years. Um, you know, that's you know play professional football then go into wrestling it's like that's a lot of beatings you know that's hard on your body and and for him to live um 
as long as he did is actually pretty impressive too because we know we all the wrestlers that we watched back in the 80s and 90s are are, are mostly dead you know what i mean just because of the rough lo- lifestyle and this guy did football and then wrestling so he's just he's just a tough 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 guy yeah to get to get to 84 if there's ever anyone that lived his best life and it, it was angela mosca like mm-hmm. you it's it's devastating and sad and and our thoughts and prayers if you believe in that sort of stuff goes out to their family obviously his 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 wife and and his children but man did, is there ever anyone that got the most like to think of he started playing professional football in the late 50s early 60s and retired from wrestling in the mid 80s like could, like what a run like you got to like if you got a, a 25 year run where you got to do everything you wanted to do was super success like he's not like wwe put out a angelo mosca senior has passed away like article like it didn't go into a lot of detail but it's like he was like this wasn't just a passing fancy with him with wrestling like he was he was a guy like he was he was not a superstar but i mean he took on some of the biggest names in pro wrestling i mentioned bob Backlund. i mentioned pat patterson i mentioned rick flair those are some of like those are hall of fame champions like rick flair might be the most famous professional wrestler not named hulk hogan and like i I saw stories because like obviously you and i being big wrestling fans like i i wrote the piece about mosque and i got people commenting on the wrestling aspect of it and it was man i remember being in the crowd when he beat the snot out of big john stud and it's like big john stud was like he took one of the first ever pay-per-view version of the royal rumble which is one of the staple events of of wwe right now like you know what i mean like it's not like he was some dude who you know wrestled a couple of shows like he promoted big show mosca mania was a huge show he promoted up here and like he just he lived life to the fullest and you you just gotta admire and respect that man like he did it his way uh he's got a book he wrote with steve milton uh i have it it's on my my bookcase uh it's a fantastic read um it really delves into like who he was. It's he was a remarkable human being who lived a a remarkable life, and uh, it, it was a getting that news on Saturday was uh, it was a gut punch. It was a real gut punch, and and celebrity deaths don't really affect me all that much. Some have, um, and I didn't I, like I said I met him one time. You 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 happened to see be in the same building as him, like, but this when this news came down, even though it was expected at some point. Uh, I knew he was he was in long term care at McCastle Lodge, which is not very far from where I live. But it still was uh, was a punch to the stomach when when the news actually came out. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I'm I'm with you. You know, the celebrity deaths don't really affect me that much. I think the last one that really affected me was Owen Hart. Yeah, uh, back in the day. But uh, you know, this one this one was was a little you know it was hard to take just because our connection to this franchise and knowing how much he meant to them. So. Uh, rest in peace, Mr. Mosca. Yeah, I think uh, I don't think I can say it any better than that, Mike. Um, there's no easy way to transition into uh, into what we're going to talk about next. Um, but we did have a football game the the night before uh, on Friday night. The the Tie Cats and the BC Lions clashed at Tim Hortons Field, and our Tie Cats, Mike, they came out on top, twenty six to eighteen, clinching a playoff berth, which is, I mean, it's become kind of a rite of passage. For us now, like all those years in the in the mid two thousands, when it was like, good God, I would love to just make the playoffs, and they've missed the playoffs now twice since two thousand nine. So uh, another year of playoff football in the hammer. 
I don't think this was a particularly pretty game. Um, it was just kind of there. I mean, the Cats took a pretty big lead. I think they were up 15-3 to going into halftime. The defense was doing what the defense does. And then everything kind of slowed to a crawl in the second half. The offense kind of didn't really do much. Um, the defense got a little soft and made this game maybe a little closer than it needed to be. But, uh, I mean, a win's a win. They're heading to the playoffs. We're going to talk about a big game on Friday coming up against the Argos that is essentially for first place in the division. And a, behind the, But what did you think uh, of this game? It was kind of a... Coming off the two back-to-back blowout wins and, and seeing the offense yeah. at, you know work at such a high level, this was kind of a step-back game, wouldn't you think? Yeah, a little bit. But, uh, you know, I thought I thought they obviously did enough to uh, grab the win. You know, it was, I think the score was a little closer than it actually was. You know, BC had a chance there at the end, but uh, um, not, you know, not the, the best offensive performance by the Ticats that we've seen in the last three or four weeks. But... Uh, you know they they did okay. They did okay. Jeremiah Mazzoli had a pretty good game again, 19 of 26, 73.1 percentage, 258 yards, touchdown, and once again, no interceptions. Yeah. So that's what is that? Four games in a row, no interceptions. Uh, he hasn't thrown a pick I saw since uh, the game against the Riders in week two. He ever since he came back from injury, no turnovers. Yeah. So turnover I mean, free football. That's if yeah, he had that's, if he had. If he had 115 yards and they won and he didn't turn the ball over, I'd be fine with that too. He, but he's playing really mm-hmm. well and not turning the ball over. It's I'm through the moon with how he's been playing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, you know that was his thing a little bit earlier in his career that he, you know he'd throw those dumb picks or questionable picks, but that has not been happening this year. Uh, he's been putting up great numbers, and I, I just I think it's going to keep rolling um, Friday night against the Argonauts. We'll get into that. A little bit later, but you know, Don Jackson once again. <sighs> Good God, a, what a player! Another, this guy is a yeah, exactly. This guy is a player. He makes people miss. He hits the hole hard. It's he's very fun to watch. He had 12 carries for 80 yards, a 6.7 yard average, um, a long of 31 yards. So this guy isn't just like getting five yards, you know, averaging five yards. He's breaking off some big runs as well. So just having him in the lineup has made a huge, huge difference to this offense. It completely has changed the way I feel about this offense. They can run the ball. He had, what, 16 total touches for like 135 yards or something? Like Right, yeah. He was second in receiving. Yeah, like he... Yards, yeah. On a, and what did, he get his big, what did he get his big one on? Screen pass. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I knew you'd like Love that. I said to my friends at the game, um, I said, if Don Jackson's on the team next year, I might buy my first jersey in probably six or seven years. I'm I'm that enamored with him. He is, and I knew he was good because I remember him with the stamps. I think it was 2018 right. when he had his big year. I think he had like 900-something yards in like 12 games. Like, I knew he was good. I didn't realize he was this good. And but, I, You know, it, he didn't like, he didn't jump off the page, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like the way he's doing now. You know, like like you, I knew he was a good running back as well, but, you know, he didn't, you know, grab me. He didn't grab my attention like he has with the Tiger Cats. And obviously that's because, you know, Tiger Cats are our team, but uh, I just didn't think he was this level of good. Yeah, like he, it feels like he's the type of guy that if given, if he's healthy for a full season and given this type of workload, mm-hmm. could lead the league in rushing. Like, Absolutely. and yeah, maybe it's, it's hard. It's, you know, it's hard to like you get two games. And you go, well, oh, he has 180 yards rushing in two games. That's 90 yards a game. If he did that, he, 
it's kind of silly to do that kind of math because there's going to be ebbs and flows. Obviously there's going to be like, he's probably going to have a game sometime this season where he, he gets six carries, but he might t- take those six carries and turn them into 55 yards. Like it feels like every single time. And I know it's not the case because it just, it can't be with the number of carries and number of yards he has, but every time he touches the ball, he's getting eight, nine, 10 yards. Like you look at it, he had, he had three out of the 12 carries he had three of them, went for 10 to 20 yards. One went for 20 plus. Like, so that's a quarter of his carries are getting you a first down. Like, can you ask for anything more to the running back? Like, no, no, you can't really. I mean, that last game, I think his average was in the sevens. This, this game it's 6.7. So it's pretty damn close to what it was, um, in their previous outings. So, I mean, anything over five yards per carry is mm-hmm. phenomenal. So, Don Jackson is just, and then you sprinkle in a little Sean Thomas Erlington in there. You know, it's a, uh, it's been uh, wonders to see what Don Jackson has done for this run game. It's, and this is exactly what we need coming into the playoffs, right? Um, take the, a little bit of pressure off uh, Mazzoli and the offensive line. Um, I think we're in pretty good shape rolling into the playoffs. I also believe that when the run game gets going, I think the offensive line plays better because. Right. When you pass block, you're passive. You're letting the rush come to you. When you're run blocking, you're you're going at them. And I think you're you, beating them up, right? Exactly. I mean, you're getting beat up in the pass protection, but you're being the aggressive ones when you're uh, you know run blocking. And especially when it works, when you see like, when you are running the ball and you see Don Jackson hit the hole and pick up eight yards, you're, I think you get more pumped. And I again, I played at the high school level. But I can say that I, I kind of understand that because I remember like playing football in high school as an offensive lineman. And it's like when you get to smack someone in the mouth and mm. the play works, you're a lot more excited than obviously when it doesn't. You know what I mean? But like you kind of get the juices flowing. You get into the game. And the fact that they found this dimension so late in the season, I think should scare the other two teams in the East. And I think should scare – because this, this is a dimension that they didn't even have – in the 15 and three season. Yeah. They had Sean Thomas Arlington was great at the beginning of the season. Terrell Sutton was pretty good down the stretch and, and uh, Cameron Marshall had, had some spells, but this feels like a legitimate running game where those felt like there could be something there, but it wasn't necessarily needed to be respected. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this, if you load the box up to stop the run, Mazzoli's going to pick you apart. I think he's been over 70% in all but one game since he came back from injury. And I think the first game was against Montreal, and I think he was like 69.8% completion percentage. So you you stop, load up to stop the run, and Mazzoli's going to pick you apart. Then you, you hang back because you're afraid of Mazzoli doing stuff to you. It's going to open up holes for Jackson. It makes this offense so much more lethal and gives it a dimension that it did not have in 2019 when the team was just running roughshod over everybody. I think it makes them a more dangerous team heading into the playoffs, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, it completely makes sense. Um, You know, opposing coaches have to plan for this run game now. They just have to. Uh, And then Mazzoli, with his deep ball, he has become, I think, the best deep ball thrower in the league. Yeah. Um, He's just been on target with those passes. And, you know, if you can throw the ball deep and you can run the ball, I mean, what what else can you ask for, really? I mean, this team, yes. They did not look good early on in the season. And yes, we were all over them. But they seem to be rolling 
they seem to be putting things together at, at the perfect time, you know, when we need it the most. And uh, it's exciting to watch, man. It really is. So this is obviously putting on the fandom hat and looking at things with the glass half full. They're 7-5. and five. They got blown out in their first two games. Since then, they're 7-3. and three. Those three losses have come by a combined five points. They are a bounce or two away from having won 10 straight games. Like, and yes, they didn't, and that's how this works. But I'm just saying, even in defeat, and some of those games, like the, the, one, the Labor Day rematch against Toronto was not good. And they blew two fourth quarter leads in the other two games they lost. But they are a bounce or two away from essentially being 10-2, and two, and we're talking about them in the same breadth as the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not as if this team is, oh, they're 7-5 and five and they're trudging along and they're, they're – this is a team that could legitimately have won one, two, or all three of these games that they lost over the last couple of months, and you wouldn't have – like, I mean, in those games, like, we thought the only one that they came – that they didn't have a lead in, really, was the, the first Argos game. I don't know if the Argos led the whole way. I think they did. But they had they had double digit leads in the other two games, and yes, them blowing them is is a part of this team's DNA, and it's something that you have to rectify with. But I'm just saying, you look at how this team has been performing, especially since Mazzoli came back. They're as dangerous and as scary as any team entering the playoffs. And if they find a way to win on Friday night, and and then obviously find a way to clinch home field advantage throughout the playoffs, I don't really see any team in the East beating them. I mean, I'm I'm of the if they get a home game, if they finish second, I don't think that they're not getting to the Grey Cup, quite honestly. But if they're if they're sitting at home with with how well they've been playing, even in games that they didn't look particularly good in, I don't really see why why like you said they're rounding into form at the right time. I don't really see how anyone could stop them. No, especially in the East, I, I just I, I'm gonna have to agree with you, and you can you know. If, um, fans of other teams are listening to this and think we're getting cocky or whatever, then that's fine. But I just, I can't see, you know, Toronto is eight and four. I'm not sure how they're eight and four. They look good. Sometimes they look terrible. Other times, um, you know, I don't think you can trust Bethel Thompson um, going into the playoffs. I could be wrong about that, but you know, he's just too off of uh, cold and hot all the time. Come on, He was uh, absolutely terrible against Ottawa. What did he throw? Four oh, yeah. three interceptions, four interceptions. Like yeah. he was god awful. Yeah. And if that was any team other than Ottawa or maybe Edmonton, the Argos would have got. If, if he plays that way on Friday against the Ticats, the Argos are going to lose by thirty. Yeah, I agree. And you know the interceptions, and it was missing wide open receivers as mm-hmm. well, overthrowing, underthrowing. Um, you know, maybe the pressure is getting to him, or maybe this is just who he is, like we talked about before with the McMagic. Um, comparison or the Fitzpatrick comparison. Um, Montreal, I mean, Trevor Harris is in there. He, I, I, I thought he looked good when he came in and, re- and replaced Schultz, Schlitz or Schultz, Schultz or whatever his name is. Schultz, Matthew Schultz. Um, I did not think he looked very good in the game last week. Um, he had a chance there at the end. I think he threw two picks. Um, he's, he's okay. He's okay. He's not good enough to beat the Tiger Cats in the playoffs. I don't think, and anything can happen, but. At this point right now, we're just a better team than Toronto and Montreal. I don't care what the record says. Uh, the Tiger Cats are a better team. And, you know, if we make it to the Grey Cup, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers make it there. It's going to be a tough test. I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but um, 
I don't think the Blue Bombers, like the Blue Bombers offensively are good. They're not great. If we can find a way to um, try to slow down that pass rush, because that's the thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, every team the Bombers go against, they're just killing the the offensive line. The, those ends, um, you know, Jeff Coat and Jefferson, maybe the best combo I've ever seen, defensive ends. And even in the middle, they, they got some real talent too. So if we can find a way to counteract that, uh, we might have a chance in the, if we make it to the championship game and if they make it there too. Well, I was talking to my brother uh, about this on the weekend. He goes, well, we'll just do to them what they did to us. They ran roughshod during the regular season this year. We ran roughshod during the regular season two years ago. You met in the Grey Cup and they smacked us in the mouth. We'll just do it. We'll just give it right back to them. And he goes, and well, it's yeah. going to be in Hamilton. Right. I, I, and maybe that run game is what we need to, yeah. uh, to, to, to help us out. To, minim- that, to minimize the effectiveness run. of that pass rush. Yeah. Yes, because now they exactly. can't just pin their ears back and go. The thing that worked in that Grey Cup in 2019 is Winnipeg got up to such a massive lead, the Ticats could do nothing but throw. And mm-hmm. then all you then you're telling Willie Jefferson to just say, okay, pin your ears back and go get the, go, go get the quarterback. If the, if Winnipeg hasn't like they, yeah, they've blown some teams out. They did not, however, blow the Ticats. The Ticats looked bad. The Bombers didn't look tremendous. And no one was saying after that week one win against Hamilton, it's like, oh, the Bombers are gonna run roughshod over the CFL this year. That built up over time. And in a one-game winner-take-all scenario, we literally have seen this how many times in the last past few seasons, the past 20 years, where the lesser team won the championship. We just saw it two years ago. We've seen it. We saw it countless times with the Stampeders losing to teams that they should have beat. We saw Winnipeg, what, like 14-4 and four back in 01, lose to an under five. Like It happens all the time. I sit here saying Winnipeg is deservedly and rightly the favorite to win the championship, but you can't sit here and say, and I would, I would take them versus the field. It's not guarantee like that. That's no, there's anything can happen in a one game scenario. I think the Ticats are clicking at the right time. Things are coming together. We didn't even talk about Brandon Banks yet who had even, you know, not a necessarily great game by his standards, but he led the team in catches, led the team in receiving yards, and scored his first touchdown of the year. Like, if he gets going, the sky's the limit. Yeah, uh, he just adds, you know, he, and he's been in the lineup for most of the year, but, you know, he's been dealing with injuries and uh, stuff like that. But you're right. Um, if you if he gets going, then, you know, it opens up uh, avenues for the other receivers. It opens up the run game. You know, you, you can send him deep. Um, yeah, if he, if he catches, you know, if he's getting hot right now, it's, it's the perfect time. I don't care, you know, about the stats during the regular season. If he's heating up right now, that's all we can ask for. Well, and he's also, because of the injury to Frankie Williams, getting some play in the return game. And I think that that's actually helping him. I think he's had a couple of really nice returns, uh, the last couple of games. Like he had two kickoff returns, this one for 22 yards. He had two punt returns for 21 yards, but it feels like he's... It's almost as if getting out there and getting a couple decent returns has like rejuvenated him almost, and then he's finally starting to make plays in the passing game. And I guess we should might as well say it. He, he we we named him our player of the week. It wasn't a spectacular performance: six catches, seventy-five yards, and a touchdown. But this was by far the best game he's played all year. And he's come out and said himself that like I don't care about my stats. If we, I just want to win a championship, and I. Yeah believe that that's his attitude. He's got all the individual awards. He's most outstanding special teams player, most outstanding player. Like he's going to more than likely 
be enshrined in the Hall of Fame no matter what happens the rest of his career. He's just looking for that ring. And if, like you said, him having sort of a slow season leads to him ramping it up at the end and the Ticats ultimately winning it all, no one's going to remember that he did play. He played poorly in a week two loss to the Riders. No, definitely not. And you know, you mentioned the return game, and um, that's another element we could have back. You know, Brandon's been doing a good job in the return. Um, you know, the blocking has been really good for him as well. Uh, but we get Frankie Williams back. I mean, that's another element to this team that we could we could be scoring points on special teams as well. We could have a, a good run game, a good passing game, um, a great defense, and be dangerous on the returns so you know frankie williams before his injury was doing a great job so you know i hope he's back before the playoffs start yeah i i if this if him and addison if those two guys come back i think that that just adds even more with yeah. what they started to do in the run game especially you add in some stellar special teams play you get addison in there for some wildcat stuff with jack like could you imagine addison and jackson in the backfield like who's gonna get the ball like there's there's a lot of exciting things that could happen with this team going forward. And yes, they beat the three worst teams in the league the last three weeks, but you can only play who's on your schedule. Yeah. And, and uh, we're playing Toronto this week. They're, they're yep. first in the East. We just said that, you know, they're not, you know, they're first, but they're, you know, questionable team, but they're first. So if we beat them, um, you know, that's, that's a real test. That's a real test. They're eight and four. They've won games when they had to, so yes, we played some weak teams, but this you know we're going to be play Toronto and then we're going to play Saskatchewan. So those will be two good tests to see where this team really is at. Well, let let's just get into the Argos game and let's just jump right into it. Friday night yeah. in Toronto, BMO Field, Ticats get the victory this 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 week, and that gives them the season series over Toronto and would leapfrog them over the Argos for first in the East with one game left to play each. This is. Probably the, I mean, not probably, this is definitely the biggest Hamilton-Toronto game we've seen since the East Semi in 2015, and the biggest Hamilton-Toronto game in Toronto that we've seen since probably the 2013 East Final. Like, this this has playoff ramifications. I think it's going to be a large crowd. The amount of Ticat fans that I keep seeing that saying they're going to the game is growing exponentially by the day. I think it's going to be a very partisan Hamilton crowd. I think the Ticats are are playing their best football of the year. And the spirit of Angelo Mosca, when, when a tragedy strikes, whether it's someone on the team loses a family member or some, the organization suffers some big loss, I think that that can galvanize people. I think that, that the team, again, it's not necessarily that they were particularly close with Mosca, but I think something like this where you know – everyone's kind of rallying around you can have an effect. And I think the Ticats can go in here. And like I said earlier, if McLeod Bethel Thompson has an off night, the Argos are going to get steamrolled. Um, if he plays great, this is going to be a nice close contest preview, potentially more than likely of the East final. That'll be coming up in a few weeks. But I do the way everything's going right now. The Argos being so up and down. I think I got to give a slight, slight edge to the Ticats in this one. Yeah, I think they should be the favorite coming into the game. And uh, actually, I, I actually think they are by a very slight margin. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't see them losing this game. I really don't, um, for all the reasons you just mentioned. Um, I, I think they're a better team than Toronto overall. Um, there's going to be, like you said, there's going to be a lot of Ticat fans there. It's going to feel like, you know, if not a home crowd, then a split crowd. 
Um, they're just they got the momentum. They they just do, and they're, and they're they're playing for you know the Argos have a lot to play for, obviously, but the Tie Cats need this win to uh, make sure they have a shot at first place. So. Um, you know, I think that I think our coaching staff is better. I think our players are better. I think everything is better. Um, it all comes down to how they execute their game plan, and uh, I think they're going to do just great. I think, uh, you know, it might not be a blowout, but I think, you know, it could be a game like we saw last week. You know, a twenty-six eighteen kind of score where, uh, yeah, it looks close, but it really wasn't. You know, on the field. Well, and there was a bit of a thing after the last game where uh, uh, Ryan Dinwiddie kind of looked at the Ticats bench and did a little bit of a crotch chop after they kicked the game-winning field goal. Um, Really? Yeah. Like, kind of like a how you like that sort of thing. Um, There's already bad blood between these teams. This is as big a game as the Argos have played in since they last played in a Grey Cup. Like, they, this is the best they've been since they won the Grey Cup in 2017. And even that year, they weren't particularly good. They just happened to be the best of a really terrible division. This has all the makings of sort of a, a classic, hated rivalry matchup with so much at stake. Like, is there anything on the Argos that really scares you and I don't say that I don't mean to say that like negatively but like what is it about Toronto that you go okay we can't let this happen because if this happens then we're screwed I don't see much like you don't let the run game get going I guess but other than that I've been impressed with uh DJ Foster all season long but I don't know if if he's injured or not I know John White got injured last game um, but, but that being said, I mean, our, 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 uh, defense against the run is so great that, you know, even guys like William Stanback and, uh, you know, dangerous guys like DJ Foster that we'll face in this game probably, uh, don't really scare me because I know that this defensive line and these linebackers do a great job at stopping the run. Yeah. I just feel like if you can pressure McMagic into mistakes, which you can Ottawa did and like, no offense to Ottawa, but they're either the worst or the second worst team in the league. And they, they pressured him into turnovers. And like you said, missed throws. And if, if that defensive line, which is good, but not great, can, can get that. Imagine what Dylan Wynn, Julian Hauser, Ted Laron, Garrett Davis, Mason Bennett, and Lorendo Malt. Like there's so many good players, but like you just mentioned those four guys that start, if they can get pressure, it's just going to make, with the way that the the secondary is now playing, I don't know if if, if I I'll say this if McMagic throws two interceptions, the Argos lose this game. I, I think it's that simple. I think if you if they turn over the ball and Mazzoli plays another mistake free game, I like I think the Ticats win this game. I think the Argos lose if if they don't win. And I know this is very simplistic. If the Argos don't win the turnover battle. And not just tie. I mean, if neither team has turnovers, I think the Ticats win. If the Argos have to force turnovers from the Ticats offense to win this game, I think that's the only way they can win. And that's not a discredit yeah, like that. to, to the Argos, but I think that's the, the key ingredient. If Hamilton can play clean football, they don't beat themselves. I see no reason why they can't win this game. Yeah, and I, I just don't see them losing unless the offensive line completely falls apart. And I don't see that happening because they have 
they have Don Jackson back there now. So the, the Argos can't just pin the ears back and go after the quarterback because they have to worry about the run game. So. Well, that's a good point. That is an element the Argos didn't face in any of the three previous meetings. Mm-hmm. And yep, absolutely. So that's something that's new to them. So with that that wrinkle added, now you're maybe you're a little less likely to like that, that ball fake. Maybe the ball's not a ball fake. Like maybe it's going to the back. You know what I mean? And Hamilton has, as we we, we saw in this, have been using sort of the the jet sweeps and even just the wide receiver like the the, the pitches. You know what I mean? Like yeah, uh, T- Tim White's been running those to perfection as uh, this season, and it, it, that's a guy that we haven't really talked about, but. There's with if Banks is is playing more like Banks, and you got these like Dunbar has been making contributions, and we know what Jalen Acklin can do, even if he's not targeted a whole bunch. But when he gets his opportunities, he makes the most of them. And then you add this element of Jackson in the, both the run and pass game. Yeah. This is a completely different offense than, than the, the Argos saw in any of the previous meetings. Like the first game on Labor Day, it was it was Evans run, and it was Labor Day, and it's kind of hard to always take Labor Day for what. The, Labor Day's Labor Day, it's Diecats win. Like that's just the way it goes. And then in the rematch, Evans gets hurt, and neither team played like what was the final? I think it was 17-16. Like neither team played particularly well. And then you had the most recent one, which was I think 24-23, and the Ticats had the chance to ice the game. They get down into Argos territory deep. And maybe if they have Don Jackson back there, those run plays are successful and they score a touchdown instead of settling for a field goal. Like with all even though it's only a few weeks ago. With with that new added element, I think it changes the complexion of this game completely. Yeah, and if you get the ball, like you said, like if you get the ball with a minute thirty left, and you have to get a first down, I feel much more comfortable with Don Jackson running the ball than I would um, any other running back that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like he could make a couple people miss and and get that first down. Even well, he if, did it. He so, did it against Edmonton. Against Edmonton, yeah. they were running. The, they were running the clock. They scored a touchdown. Yeah, even if the defense loads up the box, I still think he has the capability to to break a big one or just, or break for a first down, and mm-hmm. that's all you need with that much time left on the clock. So it, I can't say enough good things about Don Jackson and what he's brought to this offense. And I know we keep talking about it, but you know it just has to be said over and over. I mean, it's, when's the last time we got to swoon over? Like, yeah, Sean Thomas Erdogan at the beginning of 2019, and we all love C.J. Gable, even though he never really had the opportunity to have those. He had some big breakout games, but not as many as you kind of hope. This is the first real running back we've had a chance to really swoon over, maybe since we've started doing the podcast, really. And it just, as much as there's been, you know, guys here and there that have that have come in and done well, this feels like the first time we've had a legitimate guy who's like, oh, he could go for a hundred every single week. It's maybe Troy Davis. Yeah, it's it's probably been that long. I mean, you mentioned C.J. Gable, and he he did a lot of good things with the Tiger Cats, but and at his peak, you know, I love I loved C.J. Gable. I love me some C.J. Gable with the Tiger Cats, but you know, the injuries kind of you know derailed what he could have been. Um, but this guy, Donnie Jack, he he's legit. Yeah, he's uh, he's something else. So it's been a lot of fun watching him play, and I think. I think he's in line for another big night against the Argos. Um, mm. Man, I two weeks left in the season. Ticats have a chance to, to get into first place. Could you ask for anything more? No, you couldn't. And you know what? The games have been better recently. They have. They, they have. They have been better. They've been entertaining, um, and that's that's great to see. You know, I, I hate talking bad about the you know the play on the field. I I, I don't like doing it, but you know we just got to call it how it is. But 
you know, the last couple of weeks, I've, I've been watching some entertaining CFL football, so uh, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, and I, it, it's playoff time, man. Like, even though it's yep. not actually playoff time, this is playoff time. We got we got what's basically a de facto playoff game here. If the Argos win, they clinch first in the East, so it's big. You got, uh, I just saw before we recorded, uh, that Sean McGuire is going to start for the Bombers against the Alouettes, so that makes mm-hmm. Winnipeg a little... A little less scary going up against Montreal. So if Montreal could steal that one and say the Argos win this one, well, now we have a race for second. Um, but, and this, much like a week ago, we're Riders fans this week again, too. If they beat the Elks, they clinch second in the West, which means they don't have a ton of incentive to play a lot of their starters against the Ticats in the final week of the season. Yeah. So, again, you don't want to ever have to rely on another team. But, I mean... The Ticats, if they win out, doesn't matter what anyone else does. They're first in the East. They're home for the East final and then likely home for the Grey Cup as well. So a couple of really big games coming up, and it starts on Friday with a game that uh, once once sort of the chips fell where they were falling, you kind of looked at this one and go, this could be the game that, like again, like I said, the biggest Argos-Ticats game in, in quite some time. And it, it's so nice when, first off, we got three East playoff teams. I think that's awesome. I think we need to – I want to see that more. And the Argos and Ticats rivalry is so much better when both teams are at least decent because when one team's just kicking the teeth of the other one, it's not as fun. Like, yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I love watching all those blowout wins. I, I've gone back and watched that 64-14 Ticats victory from two years ago more times than I care to admit, quite <laughs> honestly. Um, but when these two teams are actually good and are playing meaningful games late in the season – that's what you want. Even if, as as a fan of either team or as an impartial fan, you want you want these rivalry games to mean something. And I don't think we've seen a rivalry game between these two mean mean as much in in over half a decade. So I think it's going to be a fun one on Friday night. But uh, hopefully, our guys come up with a victory. Yeah, and I I I really hope that there's a a really a big crowd there. You know, um, I have my doubts. You know, I think they'll probably be about twelve thousand. Um, and I don't trust Ticketmaster seat no. clubs. I, you know what I mean? Like, um, I'm I'm sure there'll be a lot of Ticat fans there, but I'd like I'd love to see the Argo fans if there are any out there. Um, I know that's you know beating a dead horse, but it'd just be nice to see twenty twenty two thousand people in the stands. You know, a full close to full stadium, um, because they deserve it. You know, Hamilton, Toronto. The, this is the rivalry that goes back for hundred plus years. So. Um, it would nice to be it nice to see some uh, some fans out there watching the game. And also, I'd like to say, fourteen game season. You know, we're coming down to the wire now. You only have two more games left. If this is an eighteen game season. You know, there would be a lot more meaningless games later on. So I know it's not going to happen, but I'd love it if going forward it was a fourteen game season all the time. Would you stick with the unbalanced schedule too? Uh that's a good question. I haven't really thought about that. I might switch it up a bit um, because they did that. You know, I'd, I'd like to see every team play every team uh, because I don't think, you know, there was some like what, who didn't play. Who didn't Winni- Winni- play this year? Winnipeg and Ottawa. I think Hamilton played everybody. Okay. They just didn't go. They didn't go to Calgary. They didn't Calgary, go to BC, right. yeah, but Calgary, BC came here. They went yeah. to Edmonton. Edmonton didn't come here. Um, 
Saskatchewan, they played both, and they went to Winnipeg, and Winnipeg never never came here. Right. But my only quibble with the Ticat schedule, and I mean, it seems kind of silly saying it now, considering what we're on the precipice of. They played four against the Argos. I think you can cut that to three. Mm-hmm. In, all, in all honesty, yeah. uh, even though that Absolutely. would uh, that would hurt ha- if they didn't have this fourth game against Toronto, their chances of hosting the East Final. But I still think four games against one team, I think, is too many in a season. I think if you mm-hmm. cut that down to three. Um, I like the unbalanced schedule. I, I would just, as long as you switch it up every year, who goes where. Like, if, if they were to do a 14-game season again next year, I, and again, this is all hypothetical because we obviously know they're going back to 18 next year. You'd have to get Winnipeg and uh, yeah, who do, Winnipeg and Edmonton would have to come here, and then maybe the Ticats go to BC and Cal. You know what I mean? Like you'd have to make it where at least every other year you get to see the team. I don't yeah. need to see like I want to play more division games um, because I think that 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 makes it even more important. Um, but I do, I do. At least if you went every other year by seeing, like, switching it back and forth, I think that would be okay. Yeah, it just it, to me, it just makes sense in a nine-team league to, you know, not be playing more games than the NFL who has thirty-two teams. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It just, it just never made sense to me. But uh, you know, if they go back to eighteen games, I'll watch every game no matter what. Yeah, I'm just and they saying, and I they will. Let's be honest, we both. know. Yeah, that. they will. They will. It's all about the money, right? They're not going to throw away two home games. Um, you know that revenue they need that but uh yeah 14 games it just it's just nice and compact and it just it doesn't drag on too much and yeah it'd be nice but uh i know it's not gonna happen just like getting rid of the rouge but i digress <laughs> i saw that you were uh what were you howling about on the uh, uh some team won, well, a, won a championship uh, or something yeah i won a championship on a punt that went through the end zone yeah you do not like the rouge no, it's. I think it's just so stupid. It's so stupid. Like, <laughs> and the the other team didn't even know the rule apparently because there was no one back there to, like, you're playing Canadian football rules and you don't know about the rouge. Like, how insignificant is this game in Canada? Like, it's just like mind blowing. Um, anyways, I'll, I won't get too off. Uh, it just bothers me that like, they first of all they won the championship that way by kicking a punt that went through the side of the end zone, not even the back of the end zone, and that the coach doesn't even know the rules. Anyways. I'm with you. I don't I don't think I don't think the single point is is sacrosanct. Like I if you got rid of that I wouldn't. I know. And I'm in the minority. Everyone loves it. But Yeah, uh, which I don't I don't get why this is a hill some people are willing to die on that you have to have this single point. That's the only thing I don't like about the Canadian football rules like that's pretty much the only rule that i i don't care for the clock rules you know because no, no the 20 second play clock because it's not real oh, right okay i thought you were talking about like when it stops you know three minutes before oh no i think that's great the three minutes yeah the, the way that that we play the last three minutes of each half i think it's right. phenomenal it allows right. for so much more to happen i love that mm-hmm. um my, but there are some like I don't like that um, the clock starts wind like in the NFL. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to do an NFL CFL comparison, but the NFL after a kickoff, the clock doesn't start until after you snap the ball on the first play. In the CFL, they blow it in; it starts going right away. Yeah. And the 20 second play clock is not real. There's sometimes no, there's 30, 40, 50 seconds go off the, before they whistle the. And I was it, this was even me sitting in the stands like. During BC's attempted comeback, 
I'm sitting in the stands, and they place the ball, and then they wait like five, ten seconds before they bowl the play in. So BC gets to get all their players up to the line and get everyone blow the freaking ball. Like it, I, I don't think you could actually do a legitimate balls down, ball spotted, play clock goes twenty seconds. I don't think you could do that. I think you could do thirty if you want to speed up the game. I think you do a continuous thirty second play clock. That is, a, there's no blowing the play in. Except in the three-minute warning. In the in the last three minutes of each half, I'm okay with whatever they do there, whatever rules they have there, keep those. But throughout the rest of the game, it should be a running 30-second play clock. As soon as the ball from the previous play is spotted, the play clock goes and you have that. Because there's times where we see teams are like standing around deciding what to do, and they get like 45 seconds before the play clock even starts. It's like, oh, I guess we'll punt instead of going for it. Like, right. they say that, oh, the 20-second play clock, it makes the game faster. It doesn't. There is not any significantly more plays in a CFL game than an NFL game, and yet the NFL has a play clock that's twice as long. Explain, like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So, well, they allow for all the defensive substitutions and all that before they blow it in, right? So, I mean, it's you're right. It's not it's not a true twenty second play clock. It's not. And I so, think I think maybe if they extended it, you know, maybe offenses would. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm with you, though. I, I think at one point it was a true 20-second play clock. They didn't allow the, all those defensive substitutions, and maybe that's a big part of why the, the scoring's down, you know, um, because the defense isn't tired anymore. Mm-hmm. That could be part of it. Yeah, so, I just— yeah, There's there some things you like to tweak, but— Tweaks. You know, Again, that there's nothing— you hate the game, you know? <laughs> No, not even. Like, we, like, there are some things about the CFL that are immensely better than any other football league in the world— but there are little things that people, especially people like to like hang their hat, like, oh, we have a 20-second play clock. But it's like, yeah. And I've seen some more chatter about this online in the last few weeks where people are actually like saying, it's not a real 20-second play clock. So I'm not – I feel like this is gaining momentum. And again, I'm not sure what the – I don't think you can do 20 seconds and, and I, I think that I would be chaos. But I think if you did 30, I think you'd be okay. But that that's again, this is wildly off topic and probably better suited for a for a off season off season discussion. But I don't know, we just started shooting the breeze about some stuff and you, you, you complain about the rouge. The twenty second play clock stuff is is kind of my that's my rouge. That's my thing that I if there's one thing about the game I would change, it would be the play clock situation and whistling the balls in and all that other sorts of stuff. Yep. We don't have many complaints, but uh you can always make it better. Gonna... And this is this yeah. is where I give the NFL immense credit. The NFL is always changing their rules to try to make the game more appealing. Yep. Like they're they all the off-season committee, right? They always yeah, they always look at the competition at stuff. committee. And sometimes it's it, it's like the, this taunting stuff that they've emphasized this year is atrocious. And I guarantee mm-hmm. you next year it it will be either significantly hindered or completely gone. They're not afraid to try something and when it doesn't work, go back on it. And you got to give them kudos for that. They did the pass interference review for a season thought it was awful and got rid of it. And I actually think the CFL would be wise to do the same, but that's neither here nor there. The CFL needs certain... I remember back in like the, the late 2000s, like early 2010s, we were getting new rule changes like every every offseason, sort of similar to the NFL. They were trying different things. And then it kind of just stopped. And I, I just wish that there's a way to keep evolving the game to make it better. And we did see a lot of bad football to start this season for a number no, of No, 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 Josh. Oh, I know. It's been great football all year. Yeah. Defense is, everyone loves defense. Yeah. And that's, 
the that, amount of people what, that said what? yeah the amount of people i saw that said like oh people if you don't like what's going on then you don't really like football it's like get the hell out of here i'm so tired of people telling other people what they should and shouldn't like huh. i didn't find it entertaining i don't care if you did great that's awesome i thought it was boring and i would rather watch well, you never played football then well, yeah, I, yeah, no, I never, I, ne- I never played football. I never suffered a concussion on a football field before. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, don't tell people what they should and shouldn't like. Allow people to like what they like. If you don't like it, you don't like it. That's okay. Yeah. If you want to find exactly. ways to make it better, that's okay. Just because you're not licking the boots of the league every single second doesn't mean you don't love the league. We love the league. I wouldn't be sitting here on my Wednesday night after work, still haven't eaten dinner, hungry. To talk about the CFO with you, if I didn't love the league, but that doesn't yeah. mean we can't wish it for it to be better or try to come up with ways to make it better. That's I think you're doing a disservice to the league and to the game if you're not trying to do that, quite honestly. I think it's the opposite. I think if you think everything's fine when it clearly isn't, I think you're more of a problem than people who want to see things change. Absolutely, and we're just saying we're giving our opinion out there, and um, but, but the people that are fighting back are like, no, like you don't know football if you think this way. And it's like, whatever, dude. Like, I know what I want. I've been watching the CFL forever. Like, I know that it can be better, and I want it to be better. And if you like defense, that's fine. There'll be some defensive games, but uh, you're in the minority. I'm sorry. No one wants to wa- Casual fans don't want to watch two-and-out football. Two-and-out punt, two-and-out punt. That's just, that's just the way it is, okay? I, I honestly, I think people, long-term hardcore fans, don't want to watch that. No, yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, no one wants to watch. I don't want to watch that. I watched a Bills-Jaguars game that finished 9-6. 9-6, yeah. It was awful. And the Bills have one of my favorite players in football who played one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. It was terrible football. And, yeah, there were some great defensive plays, especially from Jacksonville. But it was god awful. And, and if it wasn't for my dad and my brother being a Bills and Jags fan, respectively, I would have switched off to watch another game. But I'm watching the game, and it's like I'm ch- talking with them. Okay, we'll, we'll watch all the same games, so we're on the same page here. It was borderline unwatchable. I don't want that for the CFL. I don't want their games yeah. to be that. And we saw some really bad games. Now, some of it was just, you know, Edmonton and Ottawa are just really bad teams, and that's magnified when there's a nine-team league versus a 32-team league. But the NFL always tries new things, and, yes, some of them don't work, and we we go, why the hell would you do this? It's stupid. I, at least it, they're trying something, and I can give them credit for that. I wish the CFL would try some things, and if they came out and it didn't work, okay, well, we'll go back and try something. You know what I mean? Like, we, mm-hmm. if, if it doesn't work, we would sit here and kill them for it, but at the same time, I'd be happy that they tried something, and then hopefully they try something new after that. To fix, you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. no – nothing's perfect. Nothing in this world, aside from Adele, is perfect. <laughs> it can't be fixed. Um, of course. (laughs) So saying or giving an opinion on things that you think could be better, I, that doesn't make you a hater. I think it, I think it makes you a bigger fan than the people who are just happy with what they're getting, but that's just me. Yep. I I would agree with that. All right. Well, that was positive for this week. I am Josh Smith. Now my Graham, eat them raw. Eat them raw.